Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hi, I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow us on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. And we're happy to say we're translating to many different languages for our listeners outside this country. And the call number tonight is 619-924-9744. And the Paranormal and Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Times. And during the show, we can take questions or order in chat. And you may also call in with your questions, speak with our very special guest tonight. And he is actually a psychic healer. And he has uh, had many experiences, and he's actually going to help some people tonight if you call in. And it's first come, first serve at 619-924-9744. And then about any buzz killers, you know how I feel about that. No buzz killers in chat or on the phone. Or you can be kicked out, you know, and uh, bad karma on you. So be polite and play nice. I just have a couple of announcements before we have a special guest on tonight. Uh, the 2017 International UFO Congress is already underway, and uh, they said the last event was excellent, and they really want to uh, have another great one. So get your start saving your money for your rooms, and uh, they also have videos from the the open at the Open Minds UFO Report, so you can uh, watch videos from last year. Anyway, so mark your calendars: February 15th through 19th, 2017. And be sure you're to book your room at the Wekopa Resort uh, early so you can be actually in the hotel with everybody else. And they're going to keep us up to date with more information. And uh, if you get the UFO Congress newsletter, more the better. And Open Minds TV has more information. And I want to tell you about my personal uh, favorite um, group. It's uh, Yvonne Smith, and uh, she's the director of the Close Encounters Research Organization, and it's called CERO. Our phone number over there is 818-383-6903. And uh, you can reach her on her uh, Gmail account. would be Yvonne4PTSD at gmail.com. And our website is www.crointernational.com. 
And Serial International provides support to those who have encounters with non-terrestrial entities. Yep, you got it. It also holds educational forums for those who are interested in learning more about the phenomena. Its founder, Yvonne Smith, worked with the late Dr. John Mack, who we all love. He was professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and she also worked with the late Bud Hopkins, author, artist, and abduction researcher, and David Jacobs, and uh, a lot of other people. You know, she's the one that's always on TV talking about past regressions and how uh, she she's now having this organization so that we can all step out and uh, – now we're fighting to preserve uh, your experience or civil rights because people that are telling the truth are being turned away or laughed and scoffed at. And uh, the UFO Congress also has a lot to do with uh, trying to bring that out. And uh, also many people that are involved in this movement. So uh, you may call her and get more information and, of course, to attend all the events. Now, my friend Melinda Leslie, she's a researcher and investigator in the field of ufology. And she has over 27 years' experience. I just want to let us know that she is still doing her sighting tours at ufosightingtours.com. But she's also been invited to the uh, the UFO thing over here at Yucca. It's at Giant Rock, and she has a personal connection with Joshua Tree, and it's coming around again. So look forward to it this summer. And she said she's going to be there, and they actually gave her a spot and. Uh, She's going to be lecturing all around. So you can get her more information for her uh, at www.ufosightingtours.com, and uh, she'll give you your information. And she's also, we look forward to seeing her every Christmas aboard the Haunted Queen Mary, where we all gather every Christmas. So anyway, we look forward to seeing you there. I know it's Christmas, not in July yet, but you know how we are. Anyway, I also have another friend, Kim Trotman. She's a wonderful lady if you need help for intuitive counseling hypnotherapy, past life regression, energy work, and she does chocolate clearing. And that's Kim Troutman, www.kimtrotman.com. You know, she's located in Huntington, well, Newport Beach is where our office is. It's 2400 West Pacific Coast Highway, Suite 7. Her phone number is 866-546-8768. I have a lot to say here. Anyway, and then Miss Marilyn Salas. Captain Salas' wife is uh, one of my special people of the world, too. And you can reach her at MarilynSalas at gmail.com. And her address is P.O. Box 1075, Ojai, California. And her website is www.lovesblessing.com. She has those beautiful myths and uh, uh, scents that that she blesses. And she's a healer. And uh, she's the real deal, folks. So if you need a, a person that could be your counselor and healer, uh, she's out in Ohio. You can meet Captain Robert Salas, too. He's an amazing man. And if you not remember him from the Montana Missile Range. Anyway, now we come to our special guest tonight. He's an amazing man. Tonight's guest is Bruce Gold, spiritual healer and near-death experiencer. Bruce Gold has never been to New, New Old City of Jerusalem, the Himalayas, Machu Picchu, or any of that exotic location where miracles are thought to take place. He doesn't dress in the tribal robes or call himself by any other name than the one he came into this world with. He was born and raised and and realized his his gift of healing in a hometown of Los Angeles, California. Yep, he's our neighbor. And then Bruce's gifts as a conduit for the transfers of positive energy healings came as a result of a conscious near-death experience, which occurred while he was driving alone on a crowded Los Angeles freeway in May of 2002. 
The thing is, is most the thing he is most sure of today is that he most definitely not alone during this faithful ride. He has been sharing his gift of healing from the moment he first recognized it, and he has a non-invasive technique for energy transference. It's very exciting that he was given a, a special gift that reaches his recipients almost immediately. He has worked successfully on both human beings and animals, and Bruce's modality has been used in both in person as well as over the phone sessions for distance healing. And he's the real deal thing, people. Bruce makes it clear to his clients that they are the healers, and he is a strictly as an intermediary, bringing back to them the, the will of his own, their own energies. His otherness, as he refers to it, lasts the most of his adult life. He had fallen into a deep depression apparently early on and was seriously misdiagnosed and mistreated with improper medication that led to him almost ending his own life. And living in a walking coma for 12 years, he literally watched every dream he ever had match before his eyes. You know, he's an amazing guy and he's a personal friend. And at this time, I'd like to welcome on Gold. Hi, Bruce. You're live with the Paranormal Massacre. How are you doing tonight? Good, Char. How are you? I'm doing while. good. I'm doing really good. It's been a it's been a while, you know. How we meant is, uh, I don't know. You know, it's been I think three years now. Is that we meant at a, the Galactic Gathering, you know, up at Buckerson's uh, uh, house. Do you remember that? Yeah. Let's just tell the audience though that this Galactic Gathering was here on planet Earth. <laughs> hey, I forgot to mention that. Yes, that's true. (laughs) We were on Earth at the time, people. So anyway, Mm -hmm. and and the the reason why I noticed him. uh, Yeah. What? What'd you say? The illusion of Earth, at least. Well, yeah, this could be, uh, what are they calling it, a uh, hologram. But I don't believe that. I'll go either way. There's too much here. (laughs) There's too much here. I don't think it's a hologram. But anyway, you know, then I, I noticed Bruce, that was, he stood out from the people, you know, and he's a, a very good-looking and nice gentleman. But I noticed steam was coming off his shoulders, and I couldn't figure out what was up with him, you know, and because uh, I can be a little bit of a psychic at times, so I, I really couldn't understand the steam coming off his shoulders. But uh, he'll explain it to you now. Uh, why don't you tell us what happened to you, Bruce? Well, you know, Life takes us interesting places sometimes, Shar. We can't account for what our next step really is. In my case, I lost my life for a long time due to my non-trust of myself to know what was best for me and trusting other people to tell me what was best for me or what I was about that I would... um, benefit from. That's why I think it's more important than anything that we trust who we are, who we were made to be, the unique selves that we are, and our intuition especially. In my case, uh, I was put on all the wrong medications for many years by the so-called experts, and uh, in turn, instead of moving further along in my life, I really slipped down the rabbit hole and lost the ability to do many things that I once were were like second nature to me. And suddenly my whole life changed. It disappeared basically. And I, how I liken it to is like a walking coma for 13 years. 
and it's all because you were being medicated improperly. It, you know, in, in medication, it really is truly a trial and error basis. I'm not saying anything is wrong with medication that is aiding a person, but if it's severely uh, uh, pronouncing the side effects and that's what's coming through and it's not really aiding the symptoms, then I really urge people to trust themselves to get off it or at least consult their doctors because it is, you know, it is not a, you know, it is, it is not a complete, it is not a um, proven science per se because it's always working on different people. So we all have different parts of our path or different symptoms that show up. And, you know, it's very interesting. And when the days when I was taking the medications, the uh, Seroquels, the uh, Zeprexas, the Risperidols, the Topamax, the Prozacs, the Paxils, I can name too many of them uh, by rote. That's, that's how uh, near and dear they are to me. Um, but truly, now they're actually one of the uh, medications that I was on the study for uh, was called aripiprazole. That was the generic name, and the brand name is Abilify, and that's yeah. all over the television now. And if you notice that the uh, commercial, the volume suddenly shifts as it starts telling you about the side effects. So there's really something to it now to understand that you have to be a proponent and you have to be a real uh, participant in your own best interests for healing. So basically, well, you I know, think we're well, we're we're brought up to believe you know the doctors are God, and then the the doctors come from a medical point of view, so they're going to prescribe medications. Uh huh. I think the doctors, um, you know, after a while, after going through, maybe, you know, a lot of them at at first, I believe they really do care. Uh, That's why they are choosing this profession. Um, I want to believe that anyway. Um, But then it starts, uh, starts to show up that it's more about, you know, pointing more to how much they can make. And, you know, to tell you the truth, there are good doctors out there that I do believe are really doing it for the right reason, and they really want to aid people. But I also believe there are people out there who are looking to also just make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. What really varies, and, you know, I'm not here to put doctors down per se. Good doctors, I I am behind them 100%. The ones that are have no bedside manner, who could really show no care for a patient, and they, they do run rampant, um, I think it's unconscionable to be in a profession of care and not really show that kind of care. You're right, because, uh, you know, doctors, some doctors do treat people like crap, and you feel like hell and cry in their office, and... You would have to wonder, if they don't love people, what are they doing in that business, really? Yeah, you got to wonder. I mean, uh, unfortunately, some of the doctors that I was guided to or misguided to, um, yeah. they really uh, are very good at uh, putting on a show 
and then um but not really showing a lot of care for the um you know for the uh patient in my case it was me and uh i had one doctor who just you know remained nameless but um you know he basically knows who he is he totally uh, was like a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I wanted to trust that he knew because he told me that, in a sense, he had my answer. And I was really, and I think not just myself, but anybody who seeks out the help of someone in the um, psychological world, it does it because they're looking for some kind of a smoother life. They're not doing it just to pass the time of day, I don't think. At least not no. what I would imagine is the majority of people out there who are really interested in moving forward in their lives. And I think that we've gotten more information because of the Internet and everything on our health and on symptoms and not to people to doctor themselves, but to go in with wiser questions and also question all the medication you're taking because some of it is harmful. Some of it will kill your kidneys off or affect your liver or actually makes you more unstable than when you started. Yeah, I'm sure you see a lot of that in your day-to-day activities in the, uh, you know, know, when you're working with the – yeah. You know, the type of individuals you work with. Right. And I'm sure there's there's horror stories about how, you know, they start with one thing to treat a symptom and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, their their uh, lung collapses or they, uh, they contract some kind of another um, disease or ailment. Right. And this is what some people, unfortunately happens. Some people told... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bruce. Sorry. Not at all. You know, everything is connected within our bodies, and so it doesn't not make sense that something can go awry uh, for things that are sort of unproven in the system, that are foreign, foreign substances coming through. And, you know, these – okay, uh, we're just saying – that not to get off your medication without your doctor's orders, but we're also saying to be wise and adult and look at the side effects that some can give you. Because some people uh, really are taking these drugs and they turn to zombies and uh, they can't move. Or, But on the other hand, if you do hit the right combination, I've seen people get really a lot of help from, when they get on the proper balance of medication because uh, they have uh, – extreme depression or uh, psychotic features or something like that. Yeah, let me let me put it this way, Char, so people know out there. You have to take an active interest and participate in your own healing. Even the type of healing I do today, I, I don't look at myself as a healer. I look at myself more as a supporter or an extraordinary helper. Um, we have to take because it affects us personally, uh, you know, the doctor will walk home and go home without any cares or woes 
and not really think about the individual who's affected by the, uh, the, the mostly the side effects of the medications. And that's really where the hazards lie. But it's really important that if you are on any kind of medication that is anything other than either over-the-counter or something that is, you know, without side effects, uh, certain blood pressure medicines don't have side effects, uh, other medications, I'm talking more, more of the psychotropics, of the antipsychotics, of the, um, of the uh, you know, uh, the, the more um, uh, anti-anxieties, things like that, uh, that you need to, I, I, I would recommend that you make um, notes about what it is that you're feeling that's different because suddenly it can be a part of you and you forget that that wasn't there before. It's really simple to do. And, um, you know, I'm a big, uh, a big supporter of people who uh, support themselves in a sense. Uh, but if if you just act like a sheep and you go in and let another person, in this case a doctor or a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, psychopharmacologist, uh, basically tell you uh, everything about what you need um, without them listening to what your understandings are or beliefs or needs are, um, I would find someone else who really does listen to you and really cares about what it is you're expressing. It's very important. And, um, you know, some some miracle has led you to, uh, you know, go through everything you've gone through, and now you've been able to bring a very uh, – a hopeful message to others that have been without hope, you know, because I know you've done a lot of uh, going out in the street work too, and just helping anybody that you come across and uh, done a lot of amazing things. Now, um, can you give us a little bit about your early experiences and your family background and kind of uh, uh, show us how this all came, you came to be because you grew up in LA, right? I did. Yes, I grew up in Los Angeles. I was actually born in Hollywood, uh, Cedars of Lebanon Hospital, which now incidentally is somewhere where I really don't frequent, which is the uh, Church of Scientology. Um, kind of interesting the way that uh, they took over that spot where I was born. It's an interesting, um, an interesting uh, thought. And, uh, you know, I grew up fairly, um, what I, what I thought was normal per se. Um, and, uh, but I did have a lot of, uh, more, I guess, oversensitivity than, than my brother and sister did, um, I was accused of being overly sensitive as if it were a crime. <laughs> and yeah. um, 
you know, it just was what it was. Um, but I did find myself to be rather vulnerable at times. I was picked on, and now when I listen to these all these things out there about bullying, you know, I'm a big, big, big um, believer that uh, bullies should be dealt with and that those people that they take advantage of um, really need advocacy because some uh, we're all created differently. And so some of us are more sensitive and some of us uh, innately, you know, um, whatever our DNA might be, we just, we don't know it, but it may prove itself to be that there are stronger individuals and then there are those who are, uh, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, um, kindness being um, mistaken for weakness. Yes. And so when I see or hear of people, of kids being bullied and um, them, uh, you know, them, them um, exiting or, or creating their own demise, um, it's very sad for me. It takes me back to a time where I was bullied for a number of years just for being friendly and kind and um, wanting to be accepted. I think acceptance is something that most people want, is to feel that they are part of something and that they are included. And for a long time, I didn't feel that way. I felt sort of ousted. And... um, I had no trouble making friends, but keeping friends, that was another story. I didn't know why I would be able to have them come in, but then suddenly they would just kind of disperse. But the best part was I could always make new friends. So something I was doing was working, and apparently something I was doing wasn't working. And um, so I went through life that way, and, uh, you know, I'm not really sure what happened. I went through the, I guess, the regular channels through elementary school to junior high, and they didn't call it middle school at the time. (laughs) They called it junior high. And, um, uh, And actually, at the same junior high, I attended, also did um, Marilyn Monroe, um, not the same year, of course, (laughs) (laughs) maybe two or three years uh, after me. (laughs) Uh, You never know, you know, in this world of the paranormal and the sacred, who knows anymore? (laughs) Uh, Marilyn could be right here and uh, planting that in my mind to say and make me sound like you know, I'm I'm a Looney Tune, but the truth of the matter is that I also attended school with uh, Latoya Jackson. She sat behind me in homeroom, um, and then Michael and Marlon were brought to school for a short time. And um, you know, I, was, I grew up in a fairly affluent area, 
And so uh, Kathy Richards, who became Kathy Hilton, who spawned the lovely Paris and Nikki Hilton. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she was one of my early crushes. (laughs) She had a home ec class with my sister, and I had a thing for pretty girls, and she was cute and pretty. So, you know, it was a different type of upbringing. Um, My parents had friends who were in the entertainment industry. Um, My uh, adopted aunt, since I was 11, was Debbie Reynolds. Um, I was actually, (laughs) you'll love this, I was actually at her house the day that Carrie came home and told us that she got Star Wars. Wow. That was pretty interesting. None of us thought it was anything. We thought it was yeah. a joke. Guess again. <laughs> right. George Lucas certainly didn't think so. So, you know, I had no understanding of something like what I'm doing today. Let's just put it that way. I've done everything from act to sing, write music. In fact, I've been singing lately. I don't know if I told you this. But I have I done. I uh, pictures of you. You're singing in a club. Then. Yeah, I've been doing three. I did three shows in a club in the valley. I'm doing another one May 15th at the Gate to the Mediterranean. I sing standard songs, somewhat uh, similar to that of like Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, uh, show tunes also. Um, and uh, I do a 30 minute set. And uh, for those who are available and I want to know more. Please um, just email me at uh, or you know Facebook friend me or whatever you need to do, um, and you'll get more information. Um, actually, you can email me at b three g o at aol dot com, and I'd love to have come out and support. And there are about three or four acts, and we have fun. And it's backed by a great trio. Um, so, I, you know, I've had a lot of many, many varied interests in my life. Uh, I've known a lot of people in the entertainment industry as I've known people in all different industries. I've had jobs in various markets, uh, everything from entertainment to the food industry, to sales, to insurance. Um Really, nothing that I ever did uh, or that I was aware of would prepare me for what occurred after my out-of-body near-death experience. Right. So uh, do you want to tell us about that experience now? It's quite extraordinary. Funny you should ask. Okay. (laughs) Tell us. It took place, actually, um, on May 7th, which is, uh, interestingly, it's coming up uh, in about, uh, I mean, 10 days or so. Yeah. Um, And uh, I was pretty panicked that morning. I was on a medication called Geodon. I had never hallucinated before. And suddenly I found myself hallucinating, almost like something you'd see in a cartoon where the hallway gets huge. Um, It was very, very frightening. 
to see that kind of thing appear. The mind is a very tricky thing, and it was showing itself to me at that time. So we called the, um, you know, the uh, the pain center or whatever it is that the um, pharmaceutical company of the uh, the number that was there, and uh, they gave some instructions, but I um, decided to get off of the medication, and, and sadly enough, the that particular medication, when I first was on it, it showed itself to be pretty good for me and uh, seemed to be helping me and gave me clarity and focus. But then suddenly when the medication was increased, uh, again, the the door got slammed on me in a sense. And uh, I went back to the severe depression. So on that morning, uh, my mother was visiting my sister who lives away and my sister had just had her baby in uh, December. And I know my uh, sister and my niece and my brother-in-law, I believe they're listening. So hi, guys. Um, my niece, who uh, uh, is just amazing uh, in so many ways, um, my mother wanted to go and be with my sister and my uh and her new baby and uh and my brother-in-law as much as possible um so at this particular point she was away and i had had what's called a halter monitor because i was in fear uh getting these kind of interesting heart palpitations that were frightening me and then you know, I've got to admit, I was pretty panicked when this occurred. And um, I was heading to do noonday meditation. I was going to seek meditation that particular Tuesday, May 7th, um, at the spiritual center I was attending. And uh, as I was on my way there, I had uh, a symptom of heart attack, which was my left arm going numb. And this was, Shara, as I was going into traffic, moving into the lane, people have said to me, well, did you get off the side of the road? I couldn't because I had had made a decision to go into like the second or third lane because that would lead me closer to my destination. Once that happened, my chest caved in, but strangely enough, before I left my home, just, I guess, on a whim or having some kind of uh, instinctual premonition, I grabbed a bottle of aspirin and stuck it in my front pocket. I had heard that if you take aspirin during a heart attack, you could possibly... uh, preempted or stopped the heart attack from happening. So somehow, some way, I was that frightened and that much panicked and that I grabbed the bottle of aspirin. So just as the pain, you know, the pain showed up in my chest, I reached for the uh, bottle with my right hand 
And then, of course, I had to deal with that stupid safety cap. Yep. And thank God the bottle was not glass. It was plastic. So there was no way I could deal with the safety cap. So I imagine, I don't really remember how it happened, but I do believe that I probably, with my teeth, not into it. And I do remember pouring a number of aspirin down my throat and chewing rigorously. Well, during the ride, many, many things occurred. Everything from slow motion showed up to where I literally saw my body disappearing and turning into mist. Yeah, that's what um, I saw when I first saw you, was that mist on your shoulders. It's strange. That's interesting because that you were able to see this. Thank goodness I don't walk around and most people see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just made me oh. watch you. you know, it was curious. Oh. And I was like, why is this? I, I really tried to figure out a natural phenomenon. I went, oh, I said, this is connected with a near-death experience. Really, I figured it out when I was looking at you. That's very interesting because really? I, I had no way of knowing what you were thinking. I know, and I can't see what you're seeing. You know, we all have different abilities and different insights and gifts. And uh, I don't think one is the same, really. No, I, I think everybody has a different gift because I remember looking at you and I actually told you because I was trying to figure it out at first. I thought, well, you know, that happens when it's cold. When, of course, in California, it doesn't get that cold. And I finally said, did you have a near-death experience? That's how we met. Because I saw yeah, that. Yeah, be sure. I mean, what I remember is is that you were, um, you were interviewing a number of people that evening. Yeah. Right. And I remember walking into this gathering, this kind of party, uh, and um, my friend, Dr. Joan Hangarter, yeah. had invited me to the gathering. And um, when I arrived, she said, Bruce, I, you know, I want you to be interviewed by this lady, Shar. And I said, oh, you know, okay, maybe, whatever. You know, I, I was sort of indifferent about it. But then I went through the motions and filled out the paperwork, just very lightly, and then uh, I think I was supposed to come in for a short interview, and then you had draw the line at that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened is it was like eight people uh, had gone through and interviewed, and uh, uh, and it was we were already went three hours, and I didn't know if I had another hour in me. <laughs> I couldn't do any more. <laughs> So I had been I delayed a plane trip that night just so I could go oh, on the airway. Man, you never told me that. I'm just teasing oh, you. Okay. Come on. Oh, okay. I'm gonna let you off the hook. I'm not gonna pretend. That. Thank you, please. <laughs> but um no, no, no. I, I was fine with it. I didn't care one way or the other, to be honest with you. And it wasn't until I guess uh, somebody else was talking about being a walk-in 
I, which I, you know, I thought they were talking, they were related to Christopher Walken. I had no idea what they meant, you know. I wasn't, I am so naive <laughs> to some of these terms that if somebody tells me about distance healing, you know, I think it's just, you know, in another land, it's in another country, you know, until I realize that it's more, that it's just not where we are, you know, yeah. that it's another location. So that could be next door. That could be uh, 10 miles from here. It could be, you know, 5,000 miles away. And uh, and believe me, I've learned what distance healing is in the 14 yeah. years that I have been, uh, you know, working as a conduit and an instrument for other people's betterments and healing. Right. So taking you back to that that incident, so you felt like part of you was disappearing. Well, I literally saw a mist appear. I became very, very frightened. Um, It was a harrowing experience. I can't say it wasn't a harrowing experience. Um, It went from... You know, going back, it went from massive pain in my chest to when I took the aspirin, suddenly there was no longer any pain. So I thought immediately, wow, if the aspirin company wants me to do a testimonial, I'm happy to do it because it seemed to have worked like a charm. Until I realized suddenly... I felt this lighter than light feeling, this sensation. And I went, uh oh. <laughs> you know, this I don't think is good. And certainly was not because I was really starting to feel like I was fading. And as I was fading, I saw the mist appear on my arm and on my legs. But I was still holding on to the wheel <laughs> by some stretch of some amazing miracle happening at the time. And uh, and then putting into effect what I learned through the metaphysical teachings I'd had and the, you know, the type of uh, beliefs that I had before I even came to um, the house of worship that I had been a part of for many years and that was the belief that we you know there is a god energy there is an encompassing um connection of us all and i thought of the term let go let god and i thought i can't let go of the wheel but i can let go of the idea that i have any control and that's where i went i went to that place of feeling like you know, this was out of my control. Yeah. And so with that, it became very surreal and still frightening, but more surreal. And I was traveling at maybe a speed of like 50, 55, 60 miles an hour still, afraid to take my foot off of the accelerator, still could feel parts of my body, but not as strong as they once were. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, I, I came to a point where, you know, I was crying and 
you know, I couldn't see anything outside my window except gray. Uh, you know, there wasn't color that I was viewing any longer. At some point, some kind of a, you know, sunlight shined directly on me like a beam. It was like a straight beam. And I didn't know if it was outside the car or inside the car. It was just like a strange science fiction film. And, you know, I didn't know really what to do except to kind of go with it until I didn't. And when I say until I didn't, all of a sudden my eyes met the uh, rearview mirror and I realized I was still there. My head, my eyes, my nose, my face was still intact. And so I looked directly at it, not knowing if I had a belief in God at that point because of the, you know, the 13 years that I had struggled so, so like a zombie, like you said earlier. Yeah. I was, you know, in that walking coma zombie state. So did I have any reason to believe in God anymore? Not really. Um, and I wasn't thrilled with God if he did exist. But suddenly I realized or thought to myself, well, I've heard about God for all these years, and I've heard that he's non-judgmental, and that, uh, you know, um, who knows what I'm thinking in this moment, except I want to stay. So when I saw my eyes in the rearview mirror, I just said, out loud, no. And then I sort of piggybacked that on that, no, I'm not going. And then I started to get more adamant and just shout no. And suddenly I started to feel a strength coming through me. Um, I think that's where the power of the will takes over, the kind of thing that we hear about where the... Um, you know, a 90-pound mother is able to lift a car off of a child Yes. with the adrenaline or the, the power of her own will. Or know when there's some kind of a, a message they get in their head about a loved one, that kind of thing, that connectedness. And suddenly... I was speaking to God as if I'm speaking to like I'm speaking to you right now. And I basically said, no, I'm not ready to go. You haven't given me a chance. And I've got too much good left to do. And you know it. Well, once I did that, there was some kind of a strange vision I had. And people have said that I went before the council. Um, whatever that might mean. It kind of looked that way. And I kind of likened it to a scene out of a, a wonderful film, a comedy, but a really poignant comedy by Albert Brooks called Defending Your Life, yeah. where he has a near-death experience. Well, no, where he has a death experience, excuse me. And he goes before a council that shows, like, parts of his life to see if he can make it to heaven. And I was looking to stay on this plane, on earth. And so when I did my pleading, 
and I saw this vision and then was given a message in my head to check my heart, when I did touch my heart or what what's what where my heart was supposed to be, it was like putting my fingers through jelly. Okay. And then all of a sudden I see this defibrillation device appear again like a, the vision that I had. And the only defibrillator I had close to me, I'd seen enough movies and seen enough times where they use the fist to resuscitate the heart, pounding the chest. And I could see the palm of my hand. I couldn't really see my wrist anymore, but I could feel it there, but it was more the sensation of it. That makes sense. Yes. So I put my hand into a fist as I was watching the next exit appear, the next exit ramp appear, and knowing that that is the one I would make it to, beyond that, I didn't think I had a chance. And so with three punches, not all at once, but each one individually to my chest on the third, and I guess through, you know, three's a charm kind of thing. Um, I felt my body come back. I felt my body again. It's hard to explain, but I felt intact enough to in the moment as I saw my exit starting to disappear, I just took the wheel and I just took it to the right and made it halfway off the off-ramp and missed a car by inches and made it into what was there at the time was a, a Texaco gas station. And if people know Los Angeles, it was the Texaco gas station off the Santa Monica off-ramp across from the New Art uh, Theater where they do late-night showings of Rocky Horror Picture Show and the like. Yeah. So once I made it into the uh, gas station, uh, I had been continually pounding my chest and kind of screaming a expletive-filled mantra that seemed to be helping me uh, gain myself again. And all the time, I thought about the most important thing that during that ride was that I thought about my family. I thought about all of the unconditional love we had for one another and how much closer we had become uh, after my father passed away when he was 40. My brother, my sister, and my mother. And the only people I wanted to call at that time were my mother and my sister, who were, as I mentioned, my, sis my mother was visiting my sister in another state. And finally, I was able to reach my sister. And... Um, I wouldn't have wanted to be her 
that day because I couldn't stop myself from, you know, saying uh, my mantra that kept me, that I believe would keep me here. And, you know, I, I, it sounded, it could be mistaken easily uh, if someone didn't know what was going on. They could have easily mistaken it for me being attacked. Yeah. And my but sister you were was extremely for your life. Yeah, but I couldn't break free because I felt that if I stopped saying what seemed to save me, um, maybe I would disappear again. So I really didn't know what to do, what, what, what I really was doing at the time. I was grasping at straws. And um, it really just was such a horrific experience. Um, when people ask me to share it with them, I can see sometimes in them going from a place of comfort to uncomfortableness. And uh, and then I think to myself, well, they asked, you know. <laughs> well, it's uh, you're actually describing, you know, what happens to people when they have heart attacks, and uh, a lot of people don't make it. Um, and you miraculously fought for your own life, you know, in the actual spiritual realm. You were having quite a battle. It reminds me of uh, the stories you hear about uh, people wrestling with angels all night. <laughs> it reminds you the same thing that we've been. Uh, you know, if you read the scripture, they have these kind of battles of life and death, and uh, you were having a genuine battle of life and death. You know, and you won, thank God. Um, thank God. You know, I after that, there was no question in my mind that a um, an idea or a you know a energy of God. Um, was what saved me. Um, you know, I, I'm not here to deny another person what they believe in or what their faith is, what's brought them. To <coughs> you know, I'm truly not. I can only say what my own experience and truth was and continues to be. As I can't right. uh, say that someone else's uh, experience is not their own, and that's what keeps them focused and alive in their lives. Same on my end is that, you know, things were never the same coming back. Um, no, uh, like this I is went a, into a life-changing. You know, Bruce, can we we have a little break? We're at the the almost at the hour point. Do you want to take a little break for a couple minutes? Sure, that'd be fine. Okay, then you can go get something to drink and. Uh, Take a little rest. Okay, we'll be back in just two minutes. Thank you, everybody.
Okay, we're back. Uh, we're live. And uh, we just took a little bit of break, and now we're coming back to our awesome guest tonight, Bruce Gold. Welcome to Pokemon again, Bruce. Are you there? I'm here, sure. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, now, so we had the point where you got out at your, your incredible story. Is that um, you got off the off ramp safely by some miracle, and then you were uh, uh, stuck. And then what happens when you park the car? What happened after that? Well, when I got into the uh, gas station, um, I did start screaming. At that point, I was able to get my sister on the line, like I said. And, you know, right now I want to say to her, and any chance I get, that she is one of my biggest supporters and rocks in my life and without her love um, and the love of my mother and my brother and the rest of my family um, you know again it goes back to unconditional love loving unconditionally means there's no expectations there's just the understanding that you know you care for one another and you're there for one another and um i think you have that with your with your family with your mom yeah yeah i remember when i did did a thing for your mom yeah um, definitely um yeah. now uh uh let's take a, take this to well i wanted to, so you went to the hospital right well yeah the, when the room? ambulance arrived after the uh some of the um people in the in the gas station, finally someone contacted 911. Um, the crazy part was, is my brother at the time he was married to a uh, ER uh, doctor, and she was stationed at that time. Her mainstay was at uh, St. John's in Santa Monica, and that was really the closest sta- uh, hospital. But when the ambulance arrived. And I told them that I was going to St. John's because my brother had already contacted me. My sister made contact with him, and he uh, got on the line immediately. But when I said to the 
EMT that uh, when he asked me which hospital I wanted to go to, I said St. John's, and he said anywhere but St. John's because they've been turning away patients all all morning. They were too overbooked, too overcrowded. You know, it was like a, a like an excursion, some kind of vacation spot. Wow. You know, that was so popular, like Hilton Hotels or something. Well, St. John's is where my uh, second grandson was born. It's okay. a very well thought of hospital, yeah. Oh, it's a great hospital. But apparently it was over overcrowded that particular day. And then when the uh, the gentleman got the call from his superior, apparently they said that they were taking me to St. John's. And he looked at me and said, who are you? And I said, why? He says, because St. John's has been turning away patients all morning. And so from that point forward, um, when they got me in the ambulance, it was kind of strange. I'll go backtrack a little bit. By the time the EMTs arrived, I got out of the car, and I wasn't your typical uh, heart attack victim. And because I'm standing there, very disheveled, of course, and I kind of liken myself to the Wolfman or the Frankenstein monster <laughs> because, you know, it was such a amazing whirlwind that I had just gotten off of the uh, freeway, and I couldn't believe I was on solid ground. But when I was convinced after pounding my chest for like 15, 20 minutes straight, and I was still here. I decided to take, run the risk and get out of the car. And when they arrived, I was standing there, and he said to me, I heard there was a heart attack here. Is that you? Very incredulously, you know. And I didn't blame him, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. I wasn't laying down. I wasn't showing a massive amount of pain. I was just standing there <laughs> like I was just lost in a – got dropped in a a city I didn't know. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they looked at me and thought I was out of my mind. So basically he said to me, do you want the gurney? And I said, no, I'll just walk over to the ambulance. And because it's all relative, the fact that I could walk uh, was amazing to me, but also I was thrilled to be able to do it, Char. Yeah, I can imagine. So I went back to the uh, back in the ambulance, and he said we have a problem. And so he told me that without he doesn't have a ladder there, so because I didn't use the gurney, um, he wasn't sure what to do. And I said, you know, I'll just boost myself up. And I could see him look at me like. Are you out? Of, what are you wasting our time for? You know that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I got into the back. I laid down on the gurney. They put saline in me, and uh, you know through intravenous um, the apparatus I they mean, had. Yeah. And then they took. He took my blood pressure, and at that point, I figured. You know, I made it off the freeway, but I pounded so much trauma into my system that I am sure 
this guy is not going to know what to do with himself when he's looking at the highest blood pressure that he's ever seen in, ever. And he's yeah. sitting there, and he's calm as can be, like ice water in his veins, and takes my blood pressure. Very matter-of-factly, I'm thinking, this guy is good. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, and I'm very worried, and I'm panicked about this. I'm scared. And he says, I said to him, what is it? And he said, normal, 120 over 80. Oh, my God. And so I kind of just looked at him and said, cool, with a smile on my face. (laughs) And, you know, I'm a Gemini, so I can shift that fast. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is I really didn't know what happened to me. I wasn't certain that I had died or didn't die or wasn't sure what had happened. I didn't know if I really had a heart attack. I I felt the symptoms of one because I had been worried for many, many years, Char, about the possibility of following in my father's footsteps. And I was all braced at 40 years old because when people met me who knew my father, they always told me how much I looked like him. And they didn't realize that they were, in their mind, they were probably sharing a compliment. In my mind, I heard, you look like a dead man. Oh, wow. So it was very tough for me, having the sensitivity, sensitive nature that I had, to take that in, plus it didn't appear that those people wanted to know Bruce Gold because they, I'm guessing, the guess is that I resembled my father so strongly and they were very, very close to him that I was too much of a reminder of the friend that they had lost. So they didn't really want to get a chance, take a chance to get to know who I was. My brother didn't seem to have that difficulty. My sister and I are are the two sensitives in the in the family, and my mother and my brother are close in closer in behavioral patterns, and so my sister even has abilities of psychic nature, ESP. Uh, Prescience, prescience, how do you say prescience? Um, uh, it would be uh, getting impressions from others and probably no, no. empaths. No, pres- prescience or prescience. It's Wait. it's the pre-understanding of something to come. Okay. You know, um, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But anyway, uh, she's amazing in that respect. And um, the other thing is, is that, um, you know, I really, like I said, I didn't know what had really occurred. Um, And, you know, it was just very, very strange. 
Well, what they, did they say? They, the they kept me in the so hospital you... all day long. Okay. And did a battery of tests and found absolutely nothing wrong. So they felt it was psychological, plus I had a panic attack. And that's what they came up with. But I knew that it wasn't, because I had already had a few panic attacks. And it didn't resemble that at all. Plus, it really didn't matter whatever it was. The fact of the matter is, is if I had let go of the wheel on the freeway that day, um, basically what first and foremost came to me was I don't want to leave as my legacy um, a line full of strewn bodies on the 405. Because if I had let go, I may have been out of pain because when I was disappearing, I felt absolutely no pain. There was almost a blissfulness about the whole thing, Char. Yeah, and I, I have had that experience, so it's uh, I understand it, and, I, and it, to me it is a near-death experience, and I think that aspirin really helped. Thank God you had it. You know, that thins that blood enough so that whatever happened could pass through. I think we yeah. get a blood clot or something. I, I suppose. I don't know enough about it. I just know that um, something shifted at that time. And, you know, as far as what I wanted was I, believe it or not, I didn't have much going on in my life at that time. Like you had said earlier, a lot of my dreams that I had in my life had disappeared. I didn't have people in my life, really, other than my family and uh, a few friends here and there. But mostly people went on to live their lives. I mean, for 13 years, I was a different individual than I once was. And... um, I was really, really dealing with the suffering and the pain that went along with these side effects. I mean, there were medications I took that took away my taste buds, that took away the ability to sneeze in succession, to block my pores from sweating, for my glands to stop sweating. And that was amazingly difficult. Yeah, it's just, um, it's kind of cruel to me that they would use a medication that would have such bizarre side effects. Uh, I had one girl call me once and I couldn't understand what she was saying. And finally I got out of her as the medication she was taking gave her lockjaw. It was freezing her jaw. Yeah. Her movements got very awkward. And uh, it's just... uh, it's kind of barbaric what they're what they're doing. So they should use a lot of care and hopefully come up with better medicines or something. But you know, this obviously has changed you as a person. And when did you realize that after that, that excuse me, that you were changing? Well, it was about a month and a half later. I um, truly had. Uh, this newfound sort of um, 
hope arrive in a way after I decided because of the medication they gave me once I was in the hospital, they gave me an anti-anxiety called clonopin. And Mm -hmm. I had not been on clonopin that I recalled before that. I was on all these anti-psychs. But as I mentioned before, like Zyprexa and Risperidol and, uh, and Paxil and Topamax and and um, Welbutrin, and I just go down the list, Navain. I mean, names that are, some of them even sound like they're helpful. You know, Abilify, almost like Able, but it's not. <laughs> it wasn't for me anyway. I still right. ended up in the hospital getting my stomach pumped. And that is not what I consider or would be a benefit from the medication. I no. wouldn't think so. and uh, I'm not a really bright guy but something tells me that's not a benefit and uh, something uh, about all this stuff um, each time what I experienced first Char was on some of the medication I remember I was on Neurontin and Neurontin is used for seizures amongst other things for, you know, anti-psych type of things as well. And I was on the Rontin, and the first few days, suddenly I started getting a clarity that was really, really welcoming. And maybe it lasted a week or a little over a week that that was the case. But what seemed to be the culprit was when my doctors would increase the medication when it was working. And I shared that with a particular doctor. Instead of him saying, stay on that regimen, he said, no, 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 you have to increase it to get more of it into your bloodstream and you'll be that much better. And the truth of the matter is they really don't know because we're all made up so differently and on different parts of our path. Now, this is something I learned in hindsight. I love when people I meet, I tell them that I was on medication. Oh, you shouldn't have been on that. I don't well, thank you. Where were you? <laughs> yeah. Where were you to this sign my petition, stuff, you know? Really. Yeah, and this is tricky stuff. Yeah, I love when people, you know, are armchair quarterbacks or they, you know, they have suddenly this insight that they share after the fact. It's amazing how, how amazingly bright people suddenly are, you know. Um, when it has to do with other people and um, or opinions, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. um, in this, and they, they, a lot of them mean well, but they don't really know. And there's no way they really could know. So essentially, you know, I went on this clonopin thinking that, okay, um, it's an anti-anxiety, so it probably won't leave me as sedated as the other meds did. And then I was very surprised that suddenly I was that sedated. But knowing that it was an anti-anxiety over a anti-psych, I thought maybe, just maybe, now I can sweat. 
So before, it didn't matter how long I was on the treadmill or how much I walked. I still wouldn't really sweat. And that's unhealthy, you know. Yeah. And to not be able to sweat. And so I decided, like the first or second day that I was on the Klonopin, to test the waters by going on the treadmill. And I went on the treadmill, and I was on there for half an hour, no sweat. And close to an hour, there was still not one bead of sweat. And I increased the, um, you know, the the speed even so much to, you know, really test the waters here. And I was getting extremely frustrated. And then all of a sudden, when it was closing in an hour, I started to feel a bead of sweat. Within five minutes of that hour, so like an hour and five minutes or ten, at the most, Char, yeah. I was like in a shower. I was sweating up a storm. So I had taken my glasses off and placed them on the table prior to going on the treadmill. When the treadmill stopped, I felt like a shift had happened. I looked around the room. It seemed to be different. There wasn't that feeling of a cloud following me. It felt like focus suddenly arrived, you know? Yeah. So I couldn't for sure pinpoint it until I put my glasses on. And when I looked around, it was clear. Everything in the room was clear. So the first thing I did was walk over to the wall because even if I was close to the wall before and put my hand on it, it still felt distant, if that makes sense. Yes. With the kind of gray cloud that would constantly follow me. And now I could put my hand on the wall and just say to my mind, I'm going to put my hand on the wall. And I did. And I went, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Something happened. You know, and I had not gone out and socialized for a long time because I was so sad. And to go out and try to socialize in a depressed behavior or a depressed feeling is not exactly the, you know, you're not exactly going to be invited to a lot of parties unless there are, you know, some commiserating party of sadness, <laughs> you know, a depression's anonymous, you know, the gathering, like, of, the, the gathering <laughs> of the miserables, exactly, <laughs> all in one place, <laughs> no, thank you, idea, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'd rather have no misery likes company, believe me. I'd rather have it just, you know, be miserable on my own. Uh, But in this particular case, I didn't sense miserable. I didn't sense sadness. I sensed suddenly a shift, an aliveness, a clarity, a focus, a newfound energy. (laughs) And suddenly I just went and got myself together. And my mother at that point was used to me coming downstairs and vegetating in front of the television with her mm-hmm. before going to bed. And that would be very basically my life at that time. 
And then, um, and there were some particular shows that I liked at that time that I uh, became very involved in, and I used them to continue my my trek because you know, if I could watch the next program, know where that it was, you know, where they left off, it would be sort of interesting, and I'd want to stick around for it. So I. I gave myself reasons to stick around, even though I was living this very, very dismal existence. So I played games like we learn as kids. You yeah. know, and my game was next. Like the next possibility, the next door opening, the next person I meet might just be arriving with what might be my answer for coming back. So when this happened on the treadmill that day, I had a lot of hope, you know, newfound hope. And I went downstairs after and being dressed, I wore slacks and a sport jacket and I had lost a lot of weight from I think it was the Topamax that did it. Um that I had the that I was taking prior to this. And I was pretty much, you know, six three about 190, which <laughs> let's not go into what I am now, you know. <laughs> let's just say my <laughs> taste buds came back. <laughs> well, you're healthy. I'm I'm healthy, and I'm I'm cognizant of uh, certain uh, aspects of my health. I I walk a lot. I um, on a regular basis, I walk about six miles in the morning. Um, I try to be consistent about it. I pretty much am, am, uh, I pay attention to what goes into my system. I, uh, sometimes will, you know, kind of cheat and have some sweets, but on a regular basis, I don't do a lot of sweets. I'm, as my family knows, I've always been into like meat and potatoes type things. Mm-hmm. And but I like fish, and I like, um, you know, red meat sometimes. A good steak, to me, is really tasty. Yeah. Um, but I don't go overboard with this stuff. And. Uh, I had lost a lot of weight prior to the holidays, but let's blame the holidays, you know. <laughs> and there's more I mean, the holidays more. are worth blaming, but the truth of the matter is it has nothing to do with the holidays. It has to do with sometimes, in my case, uh, an emotional need yeah, or maybe um, stuffing feelings. Or like a comfort thing, or I don't know. Food can even feel like a drug. It, it, for you sure, I mean? they, it, well, it there is an OA uh, group out, you know, that is very, very uh, prominent out there in the twelve-step programs, uh, Overeaters Anonymous, and I have been a member right. of for years. And wow. um, the one that's helped me the most that I went into a few years ago uh, was. EA, Emotions Anonymous. Hmm. And uh, because that's where I've had my difficulty, I'll be honest, with the yeah. uh, with your audience. 
I've had a lot of trouble with my emotions. And we're all works in progress. And I believe I am too work in progress. Whether I can do amazing um, aiding for others' healings, that's notwithstanding. I'm always working on myself to better myself, to be the best Bruce I can be. And um, you know, you were born with this this purpose that uh, I don't know any healer or special gifted person that wasn't born out of some kind of pain. You know, every single one of them has had a difficulty to overcome, and they discover their real purpose. And it, it's not an easy travel. It's it's mostly difficult. I would suspect somebody who said, I fell off a curb, then all of a sudden I'm a psychic. Or, you know what I mean, I was just I just had a happy, happy life. And, you know, it doesn't go like that. It's usually a, a trial, and it's usually pain. And, you know, that's how... I guess to me, I've always pictured it like a diamond and that diamond to be a diamond, you have to work it and the edges get chipped off and it's very painful to turn into who you really are. The chipping away who you're not to turn into who you are, if you know what I mean. But I think when we're, we're going through it, when it, um, when it's us, um, we don't know that, there might be this, you know, prize, this spectacular yeah. prize for us at the bottom of the Cracker Jack box. Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to know. I think that it would it would kind of mess up the whole plan, I guess. You know, as much as I can't stand pain, it seems like that's been the touchstone to push me forward. Well, to, you know, uh, to quote that historian Gomer Pyle surprise surprise <laughs> you're right so now so what happened is that you have been you know your story is so awesome and your personal adventure has been incredible and uh, so it's brought you to your life purpose is the way I see it so um, what has happened is that you change and you develop this remarkable gift of healing. Now I want to call I'm going to tell let me give him the call and the number right now. So the call number tonight is 619-924-9744. If you want to talk to Bruce, just get on the line and I'll let you on. Or if you have any questions, go ahead and tell me that. But um so you have really been led to your life purpose. Yeah, it's it appears that way. Um sometimes much to the chagrin of those around me, family, friends and whatnot. Um because they don't really understand what it is that I am a part of now. Uh, I don't really understand it myself, so how could they? But for everything they think that, that they're not getting or uncomfortable with, they can't imagine how that is, you know, uh, magnified for me. And sometimes it's a very lonely trek for me. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I've come to this incredible, amazing playground kind of place, because that's kind of how I see life now, as kind of a elongated or a uh, magnified playground. Um, 
that is the view I have. But to try to explain that to another or to say, come into my world, come into my playground, they have to find their own way. They can't just, because I I feel as though I'm in more than one dimension at the same time, Char. And it's very, sometimes extremely disconcerting because as far as I know, I'm here solid, but what shows up sometimes is literally people trying to create a space uh, next to me that doesn't exist. And as if, and then they say they didn't see me there and I'm six foot three and 200 and too much right now. Um, But it's impossible from what I am viewing that they wouldn't see me and then honestly say it to me, I didn't see you. And this happens often, and it can be rather disconcerting. And, of course, to share that with another, they're like, oh, uh, you know, something's wrong with you. Well, at the same time, you know, there are other gifts that have been presented to me, the greatest of them all being that I am able to share energies with individuals that appear to be timely and that appear in the moment to improve their, whether it's pain or um, malady. I really don't know where it's coming from to the sense of, but I do feel it come through me at that time where I am uh, showing up for the other individual or individuals. So there's really no way to really say, oh, and and I'm not brash enough or stupid enough to say that what is coming through me is me, but I am a part of it. I am a partner in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. So, you know, what's happened is that um, my mother uh, was this last year. My last year, my mother had a stroke, and um, it was uh, pretty bad. My sister had her out on vacation. I had a real bad feeling about this. I said, Mom, I don't think you should travel right now, but she didn't listen to me. She not only went to Florida, Disneyland, Florida, or Disney, whatever they call it, Disney World, but anyway... They went on to go to uh, Costa Rica or something like that, and I knew it was bad, and my mother said that she had fell in the shower, and then they still went on to Costa Rica. My mother called me from the beach, and she was in a wheelchair. I went, Mom, come back. Anyway, they finally came back, but by then she had a full-on stroke, and she she had to go into a hospital and then into a care home. And And wasn't this uh, two years ago? Yeah, okay, yeah, it was two years ago then. I, I yeah, can't remember. Yeah, as I um, recall, it was like two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. So uh, anyway, so my mother, I, I, we, me and my daughter went. We were just there every chance we got, and we were praying and everything. And I was reading to my mom the Bible and all this. And um, I got scared because uh, my mother. I even told her, I said, "Mom, you know, you're not moving your feet. Her feet were turning towards each other." 
not she had no connection with her feet. You know what I mean? And I got really scared. I said, Mom, you're really not using your legs at all. Like we'd be sitting there the whole time and she would never move her legs. And I went, this is how it happens, you know. Anyway, I got scared and um, I called you and I asked you, could you please help? And then you called and talked to my mom. And my mom was visibly better after she talked to you. She was smiling. And and she had a different look on her face. You know, she really listened to you very hard. Were you aware of that? She really listened to you. Yeah. What What's your mom's name? Claire. Claire. It's been a while. So, yeah. No, yeah. I I enjoyed the conversation with her immensely, but I also sensed when the energies were coming through, and yeah. I knew that she was receiving them. She was. Which is. And she had a big smile boy, on her um, face and her face. Part of something like that, Char. There's no. There's no. Better reward than the knowledge to know that someone has received um, my care from my heart. Well, it's a real, it's a real thing. I mean, we've had, you know, uh, you know, my savior uh, send out um, healers, and he was a healer, and all the apostles were healers, and all the. This is a, not only a tradition; this is a, a human ability. And if you have it, it's a, a gift straight from God, and uh, you know it's to be honored. But I did see her face brighten, and then I did order her on top of it to move. I just said, "Mom, you're gonna have to move," and that means get up. And she couldn't get up. Poor Sammy. Since started, you know, when we weren't there, she was standing up using a walker. You know, that tone connection. She started moving her little feet, and I saw her how she was dragging him on the top. You know what I mean? I don't even know. She had enough strength in her arm to drag her legs along. And then from there, she started walking, and I couldn't believe when they discharged her. And now my mother has moved to San Antonio and ditched me. <laughs> <She's in Texas>. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she never so writes good. me. <laughs> she, she doesn't write. <laughs> she never writes. <laughs> she never writes. <laughs> She just moved to San Antonio, and so uh, I am thrilled that Claire is doing, doing so much. Well. It makes it makes my heart warm. Yeah, she, this is really something else to watch it, and uh, you know, it's that's what it's all about. You know, I know that you've had many experiences uh, along the line with things happening like this. Um, more than I remember, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, and um you know sometimes i can do <laughs> I, I i countless uh transferences in one day and then sometimes i wonder at the end of the day why i'm so tired <laughs> i i did nothing yeah. you know i i i didn't really do anything today you know it's like and it it's just strange because it's, it feels like that sometimes sure that uh, like I'm really not doing very much. Well, you're actually doing a lot because I know that you're doing a lot of these uh, conferences, and I wanted you to tell us about them, like that you're attending these uh, expos and stuff like that. And don't you have something coming up? I do. <laughs> very thrilled about. Um, I have been honored and asked to be a featured guest 
on a program that is now online but became famous uh, on CNN for many years uh, with a uh, host who is known by probably most of the world who has been a 50-year veteran of uh, the entertainment business, is one of the greatest communicators of all time, has launched many, many careers, that of which similar to that of Oprah, but he also was a springboard for Oprah. So I have been uh, asked for this coming Tuesday, May 3rd, um, to be a featured guest on Larry King Now. Awesome. So what channel and what, what, where is it? Um, Larry King Now can be located on one of three networks, the easiest being Aura.TV, and that is online. So essentially, he took his CNN Larry King live show, and he moved it online and is still only dealing with um, uh, subjects that are uh, uh, current, um, really only interviewing the A-list um, celebrated people in all walks of life. And I am so overwhelmed and thrilled to um, have been asked. I've known uh, Larry uh, for a number of years. Um, He's been someone I consider special in my life. But make no mistake about this, that whether Larry likes me as a person or not, he's not really a believer in the type of things which I do on a regular basis. And so this is not a promotion of me as much as it is a sharing of uh, the type of thing I do for his audience. So it's not a... um, endorsement, it is an interest, a curiosity from his his view, and something that hopefully within time, and hopefully after I make this appearance on his program Tuesday, which incidentally will not be on the air probably for about a week or two uh, so I would guess anywhere from the 10th to the 15th or 20th is when uh, you should look for it. And they're archived now instead of a one-shot deal, which he used to you know, have the Larry King Live show on CNN. Right. And if you missed that program, you missed the show. Well, now they have them archived so you can look them up. Okay. And uh, I love I don't enjoy what you find there. Um, as far as I understand, they're bringing on someone who is known as a debunker. 
someone who is looking to be a naysayer, uh, whether an atheist or a non-theist, as they call themselves. Uh, this gentleman in particular, he is um, a known skeptic, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to meeting him. And as far as I also know, they are going to have me do an on-air uh, demonstration. Oh, gosh. So I am very much looking forward to paving the way for other people such as myself who have discovered gifts within themselves that they pretty much never knew existed and bring and be a pioneer that way in a sense to pave the way for not necessarily, uh, not saying that, that the individuals who are indigenous to things like healing are not doing important things like different countries have healing practices, Ayurvedic, and in India, and in, um, in Brazil, and places like that, healing is almost second nature for a lot of people, uh, yeah. natural healing, uh, transference. But more for those individuals who kind of, like myself, who have discovered abilities that they're almost afraid to share because of how they would be looked at. But my truth in this, Char, from the beginning, knowing that I had an ability that was unique um, and could be so helpful, my dream with this has always been to be the missing piece of a child's horrendous puzzle, meaning that if a child contracts a rare disease or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or some type of other cancer um, that I could possibly be. Why I undertook this immense hardship sometimes of a path and always remember and keep in my possession a little tiny um, reminder that I'm here to aid broken angels. And children are my heart. And my biggest dream is to create a healing hospital that focuses on those children who have been, in a sense, turned away by the doctors because they felt they couldn't do any more for. Yeah. And so it's always been my biggest dream is to find a way to aid those children who were told that they don't have a chance any longer and they were given a death sentence. I don't think anybody has the right to give another human being, whether they're a child or someone in, up in years, a, a, a sense that they are going to be gone at a certain time. I really think that's unconscionable. I think it's a crime to do something like that. Because then it puts a preconceived notion in their head. The subconscious mind is extremely, extremely powerful. It's like when someone retires, when someone thinks they're going to go travel around the world and they retire from a job that they've had for 60 years or whatever it's been. And then all of a sudden it's not retiring, it's soon time after they 
leave their job that they have been a part of, something that they knew and and could go to that's familiar. Suddenly it's not there any longer and they don't know where they belong. So a lot of people end up dying a short time after they retire. I don't think it's an accident. I think there's reasons behind all these things. The yeah. subconscious mind being so powerful. And well, we have but, a purpose and what I'm noticing and you know, we have a purpose, but also as we age things change and we have to be willing to change with it. You know, it's like uh I think I've led about five lives, so I'm going on life number six or seven. But I've had to switch it up again and I didn't I didn't even know how to do it because I haven't had any mentors or anybody even in my family that went ahead and, and lived like this, you know. Of right. having meaning for your whole life. And now that I'm approaching uh you know, gosh, I'm in my middle sixties now. I'm just quite surprised that I got here, first of all. You know, and then I'm still working, but I only have like two years left of this retirement. So you're bringing up retirement is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So if I make it to retirement, I will be um, looking forward to it because, you know, I, I have a sense that I want my freedom now. You know, so I look at it as a good thing. But I think in generations past, uh, every every part of your worth was at work. You That was your identity. That was, you know, everything. And now it's kind of changing because especially you and I and people like us, we have a lot to do. I mean, there's so much stuff going on out there now for us. Yeah, it's interesting you should say it that way. Because, you know, back to when I was on the freeway and pointedly saying to what I felt I was speaking directly to God and saying, I've got too much good left to do. And instead of leaving it at that, I added, and you know it. And it goes back to be careful what you wish (laughs) (laughs) for. Well, you know, look at what you're doing. I mean, you're you're singing at clubs. uh, You look so happy. And, you know, you're really uh, out there doing it. And I think that's what we're supposed to do. You're not supposed to hide your gift. You know, you are a gift, Bruce. You know, it's funny. Sometimes. True, but sometimes, you know, I my human side comes out and my frail side, you know, is there and, and can be very sad for what I see existing today of all the hatred and all the pain and those people who don't seem to care about one another, the lack of kindness that is here, especially yeah. what's been going on in the political arena lately. I mean, this, it, I, I, as, my, as my family knows, I call it a clown show. Because it truly well, it's is. Ridiculous. It, it, it I is have a, never seen this kind of baloney in my whole life. It's just dumb. Well, it's so. like taking mudslinging to a new level. Oh, definitely. And I was, um, I must say, that since um, I'm sharing a lot here, um, mm-hmm. I um, read about a rally that was taking place in Anaheim uh, back in February. It was actually mm-hmm. the day after my father's 47th anniversary of his passing. And wow. um, and I read in the paper that there was a Ku Klux Klan rally that was going to be assembling in a peaceful park in Anaheim. And 
I kind of checked with the powers that be, and I went down there and made sure that it didn't get worse. And uh, in the wow. process, there was a guy bleeding out, and I used my I used the energies that I knew were available to me, and I want to make sure that's understood. I used mm-hmm. the energies that I knew were available to me for him. And he was bleeding out, and then suddenly the bleeding stopped. And so I went down there for the purpose of helping, and I did. Amazing. Well, that's what I meant, is that you have a purpose, and you have to go with that. And I think that uh, there's a little sadness. It's kind of a wistfulness feeling of what could have been or something like that. I think that's what I feel. It's like what could have been, but instead of fully embracing what is, and I mm-hmm. think I'm doing better with it. I'm embracing what is and not what I lost. Well, because I think that's what it, we have to look at and accept what yeah, we have exactly. as, accept you know, it. accept, not expect. You know, I, I have to tell myself this a lot. I will accept and not expect. Right. And, you know, and be grateful for what it is that I have instead of what I don't have. Exactly, because, you know, mm-hmm. things are being aligned, you know, oddly enough, things are aligned just so that you could help that person, you know, and that person put them on a better path. I mean, every time you touch someone, it, it could put a little seed of uh, faith in them. We don't, re- we don't really know what we're doing. Well, I'll tell you so, something. Today, uh, let me, the, that's perfect timing for this little story. Um, many years ago, in 2001, uh, prior to my reawakening, I was still living the zombie life, but I was working with a special events company. And uh, one of our events that we did was for the Producers Guild of America. And uh, I was working for a, a wonderful angelic woman named Jamie Gilly. And if she's out there, I send my love to you, Jamie. Um, thank you for um, for trusting that I was the right person to to be there in your team on your team when I could barely read and do anything of communication <laughs> and working in a communication capacity. It was very rough for me, but very heartwarming uh, that she would trust that. She felt something enough from me that she wanted to keep me uh, employed by her. And uh, sometimes I didn't make it to work until about three or four in the afternoon, and the and the uh, office closed at five. So it was a very, very horrendously tough time, especially after being in the entertainment business as a, a commercial agent, and uh, and then suddenly now I am. Uh, you know, almost like kind of back to 101, you know, beginning steps like crawling again. Yeah. So it was a very humbling experience uh, prior to that. My first job after I hadn't worked in a long time to give you guys hope out there for those people who, you know, we can't take things for granted because I went from, you know, being Tom Selleck's agent uh, when I was uh, doing commercials with a company called Don Schwartz, 
and he was doing Magnum PI at the time in Hawaii, um, to working uh, maybe 10 years later, uh, starting again when I was on the meds at Blockbuster Video making like 5 $6 an hour. Right. And where I had to duck certain people coming through the door because um, some of them I put on the map in the entertainment business. And now here I was, and what was I going to say? I'm researching a role. I went back to acting. I'm researching a role as a clerk, you know. <laughs> you talk about a humbling. Well, this has happened to the best of us, but believe me. Well, in this case, it was very, very, very humiliating. Yes. And uh, one of the people who came through the door that gave me hope at that time was Steven Spielberg. And uh, he was just starting DreamWorks at that time with Jeffrey Katzenberg and David Geffen. And I had read the article in uh, Newsweek magazine, and when he came in, uh, Schindler's List had just been released. I wasn't supposed to be working that day. Uh, long and short of it, he left the uh, after I had waited on him and helped him uh, with his uh, purchases. I decided since nobody was in the store, I would follow him next door to the ice cream parlor, which to make it even worse uh, was owned by a kid that was younger than me. And he was also the um, son-in-law of one of my bosses when I was doing uh, as a commercial agent. <laughs> so, wow. When it rained, it poured. And yeah. uh, and when I saw Stephen go into the uh, into uh, my my uh, uh, friend's place of business, I followed him and. Uh, and I said, Stephen, and he said, um, I turned around and I said, do you believe in opening the door when opportunity knocks? And he looked at me and he said, as long as it's legal. So <laughs> I realized he had a sense of humor. And subsequently, um, he uh, was instrumental because uh, in at least giving me some kind of feeling of strength coming back or some hope, you know. We never know where yeah. we get the hope from. And yeah. uh, he set me up, you know, he set me up with uh, his uh, assistant. And uh, they brought me in for a few interviews. I didn't get a job at DreamWorks, but I interviewed about three or four times different with different uh, uh, executives. Um, so it gave me an impetus to come back to of a feeling that... Um, one sort of piggybacked on the next to give me a little more strength and hope. And right. when I started this story, I said about the company I worked for and we did the Producers Guild event. Well, today I ran into a person that I had not seen uh, since 2001, who at the time, uh, that year she won Best Supporting Actress for a film called Pollock, uh, Marsha Gay Harden. Yeah, I love that film. Yeah, and apparently she's got a television series on now. She's a phenomenal actress, and I ran into her at the supermarket. I have been longing to run into her somewhere, and I told her about our meeting. And at that time, she gave me hope because um, she was with some, you know, bunch of uh, friends and well wishers and things like that, and her agents. 
and we took a shine to each other, and she asked me if I had a girlfriend, not knowing that I was ill at the time on meds, and really I, it was hard to follow through with any kind of an invite. Yeah. I could fake in the moment pretty well, and it's amazing how we can fake it in the moment, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, And so she had asked me to join her and her friends, uh, to play volleyball in Redondo Beach, and I thought it was just the nicest thing. And I got to be able to share today with her, just this afternoon, Wow! that she was a part, she's been a part of all the healings that I have been a part of over the last 14 years. Amazing. So we spent about 25, 30 minutes together, and she understood and she felt it was a serendipitous meeting. Yeah, definitely. That's so we never know where we're getting the extra little, you know, cheers you from. Know, the acknowledgement. Yeah, exactly. I and think that's why we're it can all here. come from just a smile that we receive or that we share or to actually helping somebody with, whether it's groceries or a kind word or uh, that they're wearing a pretty outfit or a, or, or something looks good uh, pertaining to them. We never know where where we're going to make that person's day or not. And it's you know it takes more effort, I think, not to be kind than to be kind. I don't think kindness takes a lot of effort. I well, think no, and plus you're paying it for because believe me, you're going to need it. Every uh, anybody. The thinks they don't need anybody, uh, nobody's an island. Everybody needs somebody, and we need each other to keep us boosting forward, you know, because it's not it's not over yet. Um, okay, boy, well, so think what, everybody contact think you? what the songwriter, uh, Julie Stein, and, uh, you know, and the great voice of uh, her first hit of uh, Barbra Streisand, you know, People Who Need People, yeah, are the luckiest people in the world. They are because we—it's just that extra spiritual boost. We're not—we're not put here alone. We're put here with a million other people, and we're just here to help each other, you know, and find love in our hearts and improve ourselves. I think, or let ourselves be improved. Or, well, I honestly don't think there's anybody walking the face of the earth now. Now that I see this as a uh, insightful or intuitive or whatever I happen to be now, um, that anyone here on this earth that we're all, we have some ability within us to help another. If we choose, yeah. if we choose that, that has to be choice, and I believe choice is our greatest voice. That's right. You're, you're absolutely right. So where can I get a hold of you, Bruce? Um, well, people can call me directly at uh, 310-475-2093, um, or they can uh, reach out, uh, go to my website. There's, a, there's an area to uh, send messages. So it's www.bgspiritualhealer.com. And, um, again, uh, Shar, I guess we're coming close to the end here. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we had no questions in at all or no calls? Uh, I mean, no, we just kept busy. People are just listening, and uh, sometimes they don't. That's, that's great. Anyway, I want to say to everybody out there, um, understand you're your own best healer, but you also need a great support system. And be the best support system you can to the next person because you never know where that energy is going to go to bring them to a much healthier place and a happier place. Exactly. Thank goodness. And I want to thank you so much for being on and we really appreciate your presence and, uh, uh, this show will be available in archives, so you can listen to it again and also get uh, Bruce's contact stuff again. So I want to thank you so much for being on. Of course, you're the open door. You're welcome on any time. We love you, Bruce. And uh, take care of yourself, and good luck over on the Larry Bouchard and love to Claire. And you, uh, let's just you. keep moving forward, huh? Yes, exactly. Blessings Trust to everybody. Forward. Thank you. Blessings. Love, you know, the Beatles said best. Love, love, love. All we need is love. That works. Okay, you take care, Bruce. Take care. You too, sweetie. Take care. Love you. Okay, bye bye. You're very welcome. Bye bye. So, uh, the paranormal sacred is uh, we had another wonderful episode with Bruce Gold. You can reach him at www.bgs spiritual healer. Dot com. That's his website. You can call him direct, 310-475-2093. He's a phenomenal healer, and uh, he's into all kinds of stuff. You can also do his show, go to his showcases, and he'll tell you personally where they are and where to meet them. And uh, he's always helped us, and I want to thank God for him and that he lived through his tremendous experience and that uh, we appreciate him very much. So, Uh, I wish everybody a good night. Uh, God bless you, and may your best dreams come true. And just just remember the the paranormal sacred is a place where the unheard may be heard and a comfortable place where you can come and share your experiences with us. Uh, For for, uh, Follow the links, and you can message me if you'd like to be part of our show or for general help and assistance. And if you'd like to write me, I don't think people are going to do snail mail, but Sean McCain, P.O. Box 980, Hermosa Beach, California, 92254. And the show is archived. You can listen to it again. And remember to tell your friends. The Paranormal is Sacred is here every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. God bless everybody. And I also, may true love live in your heart and you find the healing that you deserve. Love you. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.